We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, Psalm 92. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night with a ten-stringed harp and the music of a lyre. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. But you, Lord, are exalted forever. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. My eyes look at my enemies when evildoers rise against me. My ears hear them. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare the Lord is just. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for just the ability to gather today together as your people and to hear your word, God, to sing songs to you, to turn our eyes toward you, and to tune our hearts to what you are doing in the world. God, may we, as we enter into the space, may we be retuned from the things that have happened this week, God, the distractions and the cares and the worries and the anxieties, the brokenness that is around us in the world. God, that we would fix our gaze on you and your works, your good works how you have created life and all things around us and how you are working to restore all things. God, that we may rest in the works of your hands and in the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So on the camping trip, like I said, it was very restful. It was nice. I, I enjoyed just kind of escaping for a moment and getting into the hammock and just laying there. I fell asleep, took a good power nap. It rained one afternoon. That was really, for me, I I love rain. I'm a native Phoenician and I don't get to see it enough. And so anytime water falls from the sky, it's a miracle to me. So I enjoyed that. Uh, But I did have one not so restful moment. Some of you saw it. It wasn't wasn't my best moment. Uh, We were flipping pancakes Saturday morning. Anthony and I were making pancakes for everybody. And I turned away from the grill like this to grab something. And then when I turned back to the grill, my dog had gotten in the way. And I didn't see her. And I tripped over her. And instinctively, I put my hand out to catch myself. 
and my hand went right on the flat top griddle, and then I still fell onto the floor. And a lot of people saw it, so that was fun. Uh, burned my hand, it was pretty good. I didn't actually notice at first how bad it was. I got up, and my hand looked fine, and I was like, oh, I'm good, and it didn't really hurt that bad either. And so my wife was like, hey, do you need like, some cold water to dip it in? Like, what do you? I was like, no, I'm, it, it actually doesn't bother me, it's fine. And then about five minutes later, after all the adrenaline wore off, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm fine. <laughs> don't worry, it was not like a third degree burn or anything. I, I did get a good blister on my pinky, but other than that, I ended up being okay. But all that, all that pain started rushing in after the adrenaline wore off. And I think sometimes we're moving through this life so busy, so rushed, so hurried that we don't actually take time to stop and recognize that our body is like, hey, this isn't okay. That our soul, that our mind, that our spirit is like, hey, hold on. I, I, need, a, I need a break. I need to rest. We come to Psalm 92, and this actually tells us it's a psalm. We see a song for the Sabbath. So just a little tip for you in your Bibles. When you see like those bold headers, you know, like it says in mine right above that in bold, God's love and faithfulness. That was added later, right? Uh, your header, your bold header might even be something different. But in the Psalms, when it has a little subheader there, a little subscription, usually italicized, that was there in the original text. In fact, there is a translation of the Bible, the complete Jewish Bible, the CJB, that if you were to read that, it would actually list that as verse one. And so all the other verses, uh, verse 10 would be verse 11 in there, right? Because they, they're saying, hey, we want you to know, this is part of the inspired word of God. So someone didn't add that later to say, hey, this would be a good psalm for us to read on the Sabbath day. It was written for the Sabbath day. You know, the, the day that God called his people to rest. Six days you will work out of the week, and on the seventh day you will rest, because that's what the Lord God, the creator, did. So this is the only psalm out of 150 of them that says that. The only psalm that was written specifically for the Sabbath day. And what's interesting to me about that is nowhere in there did we just read a command for us to rest. Nowhere in there does it even mention the word or the idea of resting. But what does it mention? It mentions the work of God the Creator quite a few times. On that camping trip, by the way, we got to give it up to the Romanos because they were like the official camp hosts in a way. They brought a ton of people's stuff up in their trailer. They were setting up people's tents for them before they even got there. And so just to acknowledge Patrick and Aaron for that, thank you for your work. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> think about that. Think about like if you were like, my, my worst part about camping is the setup and the teardown, right? Once I'm there, it's great. It's fantastic. I love it. Like sitting around a campfire, someone's got a guitar, you know, you got a s'more in your hand. That's fantastic. But setting up and making sure you have all the stuff and then tearing it down at the end, miserable 
for me. And so think about being on that side of things where like you get to go camping, but someone else did all the work for you. Several people showed up to that campsite and their tent was all ready for them to go. In a similar way, when we read this psalm, it's an invitation to say, look it, somebody else has already done the work. So even though it doesn't explicitly say the word rest in there, there's an invitation calling you as you look to the works that God has done, you get to rest in that. It's, it's reminding you, this isn't up to you. It doesn't all fall on your shoulders. Look at what God has done. Listen to this, verse four. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. Over and over again, we're being pointed back to this work that God has done. And nowhere in that psalm does it say, and here's the work you have to do, right? Because this is a song for the Sabbath, an invitation to rest in the fact that God is the one who holds the world in his hands. And we could simply rest in the work he's done. Now to better understand what this Psalm I think is saying through that and to better understand what the Sabbath was in the first place, we have to go back to creation itself. And so we'll do a little drawing here. How many days in Genesis does it say that God took to create the world? Six days, right? So we're going to have day one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, I drew it like this because it's actually two sets of three days. We've talked about this before. What God does in that first set right here of three days is he orders space. He creates space for things to thrive in. So day one, he, he separates day from night, right? Day two, he separates the, the waters above and the waters below, and he creates a space in between. Day three, he separates the waters from the land, and he allows dry land to be there so that vegetation can grow. And then what happens on these three days is he starts filling what he just created, what he ordered. So day four lines up with day one, that he starts filling the sky with the sun and the moon and the stars, right? The things that will fill light for day and night. He starts filling on day five, which correlates to day two. He starts filling the sky with birds that is only there because he separated the waters and the sea, the waters that he separated, fish, right? And then finally, day six, that correlates to day three, he starts filling it with animals on the land that he had made in day three. And people, finally, as like this culmination of all his creation. So we need to see that, that those days line up with each other, that God first orders things out of the chaos, 
And then he fills those things. And then we get to day seven over here, right? And what does it say about day seven? Yeah, God rests. Now, is God tired? Is he exhausted? Is he like me approaching 40 and going like, man, everything hurts now? Does he need to sit down? There's one story in scripture when Elijah the prophet is mocking the prophets of a false god, Baal, and he's like, oh, where's your God? Maybe he had to go sleep. But he says that because our God, Yahweh, never sleeps. Scripture tells us in another place. So God's not exhausted. He's not worn out. But what he does, that, that word means he settles into the creation he had just made. And it says he calls that seventh day holy. Meaning, that word just means set apart from. So day seven is a special day now, set apart from the other six. Now, when does man show up? I said it earlier. What day? Day six, right? Man shows up right here. That's a little person. And when I say man, I mean mankind. So there's two right there, man and woman. They're there on day six. That's the day God made them. What was the first full day they experienced? Day seven, right? We were having a, by the way, we, we planned this and our Sabbath month of July. Uh, and then Amy Looney came to us and was like, hey, I would love to do like a cohort on Sabbath rest. Totally not. We didn't talk to each other about that. It wasn't planned. The Spirit was planning something, I think, right? And in that cohort that met for a couple weeks on Saturday mornings, one of the questions was, is Sabbath the first day of the week or the last day of the week? Kind of the, the question of like, do you rest from your work or do you work out of your rest in a sense, right? And our culture often has looked at Monday as the first day of our week on the calendar because Monday is when you go to work, when you start getting stuff done, and we're very much about producing things. We're very much about the grind, right? The hustle, making stuff happen. But actually, in the original calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week. And Sunday, many people, and for a long time, not our culture necessarily, but other cultures, have viewed that as a day of rest. Because it's actually this like hinge point, Is it the first day or is it the last day? It was the last day for God when he settled into all the work he had just done, but it was the first day for the humans, wasn't it? The very first day of their being, of their existence, what they were called to do was rest with God in what he had just done for them. Day one, that was their job. Then day eight comes, right? Or the next day one, the, the, the week rolls over. And now God gives them a call to work. Yes, they were, they were called to care for the garden around them, to tend to it, right? To care for creation. They were called to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion over all the other creatures. So they had work to do, absolutely. Before you guys call in from work tomorrow. Like, yeah, we're called to work. But that work 
flowed out of the rest God had given them at the very start of their being. At the very beginning of their creation, this rest day was like a hinge point. It was the last day of the week for God, but the first day of existence for humans. You now can actually work out of the rest of the works God has already accomplished on your behalf. Now that for me has been a paradigm shift. I don't know about you guys. Because I think about, I need to work in order to get to rest. And oftentimes it's like, I can't rest until all these tasks are checked off of my list, right? So I gotta make sure I'm doing the work and I'm, I'm happy with that work and I'm satisfied with that work before I can go and rest. But the Sabbath day, God, God since that moment in creation, he called his people he called them to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, set apart from the rest. And what he's doing is he's reminding them, he's inviting them back into this idea, you rest in the work that I've done. You don't have to rest in the work that you've accomplished. And listen, that is such freedom, isn't it? Because if I'm resting in the work that I've accomplished, that work is never done. I'm never satisfied with it. It's never enough. It's never done exactly what I set out for it to do. There's always a thousand more emails to get to, right? There's always a conversation that needs to be had. There's always something that needs to be finished. And even the work that I quote unquote finish, I look at it and I go, I wish I had done that better. But God is calling us not to rest in our work. He's inviting us to rest in the work he's already done for us. So that when you rest, when you enter into that rest, that anxiety of, but, but what about this? And what about that? What about, no, no, no. There should be a little bit of that tension at first because what it's causing you to do is to set aside this idea and this notion that you will accomplish things that you will make things right. Because who is the one who actually makes all things right? And I think part of why we have that tension in the idea of resting in the works God has done is because we look around and we see that not all things are right, right now. Isn't that true? And listen, the psalmist acknowledges this. He says exactly this, because verse six, the thing starts changing. And, And I love that, You know, I tell my kids not to call people stupid, but the psalmist right here has no problem with it. A stupid person, (laughs) he just gets right to it. A stupid person does not know, a fool does not understand this. This is what he's saying, that lack of wisdom, lack of understanding, foolishness is when you don't understand this thing. Listen to what this thing is that though the wicked seem to sprout like grass and all evildoers seem to flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. Suddenly, something's entered into this story of God's good works and us resting in that good works. There's something else here in this story that is trying to like contend with all of that. That there is evil sprouting up around us. That there is ignorance even within this room, right? Even within this person. (laughs) There's a problem in the world. There's a problem with the humans. There's a problem with creation. 
The psalmist, though, at the same time of, re- of saying, yes, I acknowledge that that's the reality, right, is also reminding us, hey, listen, it's not going to be like that forever. I know it seems like they're sprouting up quick, like grass. Like, let's think more about, in our context, weeds, right? Weeds that are just shooting up really quick overnight. And you're like, man, these things are growing out of control. But they can be plucked right back out. Grass, it, it grows seemingly quickly, but it doesn't last longer than its season. And he's saying, the, it seems like there's a lot of prevailing wickedness in the world, right? It seems like people who live their way rather than God's way seem to get ahead in their work. And you're telling me I should just rest in the work that God has done? I got to keep up with what's happening over here. It seems like they're getting further with the way that they're doing things and that they're prospering. And I thought that maybe like if I did things God's way, that he would allow me to prosper, but I'm seeing that this person over here is getting much further in life. What's up with that? And he's saying that's like grass. It'll last for a season, but it'll eventually die. And we know this very well in Arizona, right? It'll, it'll turn yellow and brown. And eventually it, it wilts and it just gets blown away like chaff. It'll be there for a season. It'll, it'll seem like it's healthy, but it won't last. What does last? Resting in the eternal work of God. And thank God that he is still at work. Because even though we saw at the beginning of creation of the story that he ordered and then filled things, did his work in six days. And on the seventh day, he set it apart. He called it holy and he rested in it. What we see all throughout the story is though that seventh day of rest seemed to have been lost because humans rebelled, wickedness sprouted up. We turned away from God's ways and said, I think I could do this and get further ahead in my way, even though that has happened, God then continued in his work. And so what we see all throughout scripture is this pattern, this cycle of that seventh day continues to come back up over and over again. And if you've been with us for a while, you've heard me talk about that and point out different ways, like how the Israelites wandered through six named wildernesses before they got to the seventh place, which was promised land where they rested, right? And we see those things happen over and over and over again. We talked about that when we just went through the book of Haggai, that there were seven, I'm sorry, six specific dates given as the people were rebuilding the temple after they came out of exile from Babylon. And that seventh would have been the actual temple being rebuilt, where they find communion in the presence and the glory of God a temple that was built very specifically to remind them of the garden in the beginning. And this pattern keeps repeating over and over and over again because God is showing us, I'm still at work in my world and you can rest in that. And yes, you'll see wickedness sprouting up around you. You'll see that things don't seem to be right right now. But one day, we will enter into an eternal Sabbath, a full rest because of the work that God has accomplished for us on our behalf through Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, he goes to work, doesn't he? 
But doesn't his work look so much different than ours? Doesn't it look so much different than what we would expect? I mean, the Pharisees who were trying to follow the law exactly saw Jesus and it drove them nuts. They, they hated him because he wasn't doing the works that they thought he should do. The works that they thought was saving themselves by that work. In fact, even the Sabbath itself, they called Jesus out and said, wait a second, did you just heal a man on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to even take so many steps. Why are you working on that day? God told us to rest. Now listen, I get where they're coming from. They're trying to understand a word that God had given them, a command, and they're trying to obey it. But they misunderstood. And Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And what he's saying is, you're not meant to be a slave to the work of making sure you follow all these laws exactly. It was given to you as a gift to rest in the works that God has done for you. And so when Jesus sees a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, and he goes, this man can't enjoy life to the fullest, he gives him the gift of resting in his work. Jesus could do that work because he's the one he's calling us to rest in the work of. It's his work. Scripture tells us in Colossians that Jesus was there from the very beginning, the foundations of the world, that all things were made through him and by him and for him. He's the one who's done the work that we are to rest in. And so he gives this man this gift. You can now rest. You you don't have to deal with the brokenness of not being able to hold a loved one's hand or to put your hand to the plow to be able to feed yourself and your family. I have done it for you. Now, what this psalm is doing is it's inviting us. It's inviting us. It's not commanding us. Remember, there's no command anywhere in this psalm. You must rest for 24 hours. You must stop doing this for a set amount of time. All it's doing is it's turning our gaze back to the works God has already done. And when we see this, we know on this side of what Jesus has accomplished for us that that's the works we're to look to, that Jesus has done everything on our behalf. And when we see that, then we can rest and we can actually live like verse 12 says, the righteous who thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Now that sounds like really good poetry, right? And the Psalms are great at that, but I I want us to hear what exactly the writer's talking about here. First, the tree of Lebanon. I, I, I love that because I'm part Lebanese. And then when it says the palm tree, the only palm trees that existed in their region and at that time would have been date palms, which there's a very specific name for that, which is the Phoenix Dia something or the other. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. The scientific name for the date palm tree starts with Phoenix. So I was like, oh, cool. That's like my two homes, <laughs> like where, where my ancestry is from and where I have lived my whole life. This psalm's for me. I'm just kidding. It's, it's for all of us. Um, but that was just fun for me to see that. But what he's saying is this. The, the cedars in Lebanon were very famous for how strong and how tall they were. And they were an image, a picture of reaching up to the heavens 
And this is for all people, not just the Jewish believers in Yahweh. Uh, they, all people who believed in a deity, which was all people at the time, believe it or not, believed this was a picture of reaching up to the heavens. And that's what they were all trying to do, was find their way up to the heavens where things were right, where things were good, because they experienced things weren't all right right now. And so the cedars of Lebanon were this great picture of reaching up to where things were right and good and holy and beautiful. The date palms specifically, one, they gave them fruit. But this fruit wasn't just sweet like honey was for them. It also provided a lot of nutrition and nourishment. And so this was huge for them. This is how a lot of people survived off of things like date palms at the time. But also, date palms are amazing trees because they can thrive in the hot, barren desert, and they could also thrive through stormy, rainy winds. They'll live through any season. So contrast that with the grass that's sprouting up, but is gone by the time the season's over. And you have these date palms that'll live for 150 years, and they're providing nourishment, and they'll stand firm through any harsh season or climate. When you rest in the work that Jesus has accomplished for you, that's a picture of what you look like. When you try anxiously to do the work for yourself on your own behalf, you get a picture like the stupid, foolish grass that withers. It looks good for a season. And isn't that what our culture is like really all about right now, right? The hustle, the grind. Like everyone's hashtagging that with all their posts everywhere. And, and just so proud, like look at the work I'm doing. And we're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to prove to ourselves and to people on social media and to the people around us. Like one of our, our favorite things to say when someone asks how you're doing, good man, just really busy. Right, because that means I'm doing something. I'm proving my worth. Man, how, how much anxiety does that produce in us? When you're relying on your work to prove yourself and your worth, that's foolishness. And I'm saying that to myself right now. That's foolishness. That's what we just read. But you are being invited. I am being invited to come and rest with the righteous in the works that God has done. And we will be planted firmly and we will be able to withstand all the different seasons that life throws at us. And we will see one day the eternal Sabbath rest that comes when we rest now in the work Jesus has done. And Jesus's work wasn't going to prove himself. It wasn't going to take power for himself. He wasn't like, guys, Look, look at all this awesome stuff I'm doing. In fact, he would tell people, don't go and tell anyone about this, but let me heal you, right? Jesus's work wasn't flashy and showy. It wasn't like, look at me, I'm on my grind. I'm hustling hard. In fact, Jesus's work was humble and meek and quiet, trusting in what the Father has said to him, and then willingly laying his own life to rest in the grave. When Jesus 
gave his life up. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. He once again was inviting us to come and rest in the finished work of God that we can now enter into a partnership with his work out of resting in what he's already done. I know that sounds like maybe we're saying the same thing and it's just semantics, but no, listen, there's a big difference in working for your rest and yet working out of the rest of what Jesus has done for you. And so let's come and rest in what Jesus has done. And that's what we do when we go to the table. We remind ourselves, Jesus has done all the work to bring us into relationship with God. That we don't have to try to grow like the cedars of Lebanon to get to a place where things are right. Jesus came down to us and he is bringing us into that place through his work. So when we go to the table, we remember what that cost him. The work of a pierced brow, the work of nails being driven through his hands and his feet, the work of being whipped and lashed and spit on and cursed. But then his body being laid to rest in the tomb. And then on the third day, the work of the spirit bringing him back to live eternally in that same body that you and I, as we rest in him, we too get to follow him into the eternal Sabbath where there's a feast and there's celebration. And we get to see the work of God's hands as all of creation is made right again. That's what we practice and rehearse when we go to this table. Not just that someone died so that that lie you told is forgiven, right? So that... Your sins are clean. Yes, that too. But also his resurrection and the eternal rest that awaits us. Let me pray and then we'll go to the table.